Hey guys, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone is having a wonderful Friday. We are at the weekend. And of course, as I've been saying the last few days, we're almost at Thanksgiving, just a little under a week away. So hopefully everyone is getting prepared for that. But some things to get into before we get into the weekend. I'm going to be talking about coming to America, officially getting a release date now that it is with Amazon Prime. Lady Gaga joins Brad Pitt in Bullet Train and a whole lot more. But since it is Friday, and as I've done over the last few weeks, of course, I'm going to start it out with my annual Mandalorian recap. And so this week's episode of The Mandalorian was episode four titled The Siege. It was directed by Carl Weathers and was once again written by Jon Favreau. And so this episode basically takes place minutes and right after the incredible episode episode three which was the highest directed by bryce dallas howard and this episode takes mandalorian to back to a planet that we are familiar with from season one of the mandalorian and bringing us back to meet carl weathers gina carano who play grief karga and Cara Dune, and basically kind of showcasing another side mission. So for a lot of people that were expecting us to meet Ahsoka Tano in this episode, that wasn't going to be the case, as I had a feeling with the episode order that we were going with, Episode 5 is directed by Dave Filoni, who, if a lot of people know the Star Wars universe, Ahsoka Tano is the brainchild of Dave Filoni. So it would make sense that Ahsoka would probably be in Episode 5. So this episode, I had a feeling we would kind of go back to see Grief Karga and Cara Dune since it was directed by Carl Weathers. And it would just make sense for him to direct and act in that episode as well. So we get back to a world that we know and love. And honestly, I think with this episode, The Siege, it just keeps the rhythm of this season of Mandalorian going. This was another great episode of The Mandalorian. Not as great as last week's episode. I thought that was the pinnacle so far of what we got in this season. But you can just kind of feel a rhythm that's going. And if you watch from episode one to episode four, they're really just kind of this one flowing story arc, this journey that we're going on right now. And even though this is a side mission that is taking place on this world, and we've kind of gotten that throughout every single one of the episodes of Mandalorian so far, I think this episode kept furthering the plot, the overall plot of where we're going with this show. And I thought it brought some interesting tidbits throughout of really the the focusing of really where these characters are going and and really what the end game could potentially be going forward so i thought it was really cool and i think for carl weathers who i haven't really seen him direct anything i thought he did a very good job with this i don't 
think it was on the same level as Bryce Dallas Howard or John Favreau did. But I think for somebody who I haven't really seen anything from and for somebody who, who's really an actor and getting to really direct this high profile show in the caliber of Star Wars, I think he did a very good job. I think the, the action that he does in this in this episode is done very, very well. It's shot seamlessly. The flow is very well. It doesn't very feel kind of out of place or very kind of bumpy. The flow it goes pretty well. And also, I think one thing that has been really hitting over the last few episodes is the comedy. I thought in the beginning the comedy was a little bit out of place, but it just feels natural right now. And a lot of it has to do with Mando and the child. And I think that relationship is just progressing so naturally in such a positive place right now that it just kind of feels like a dynamic duo in a way. And I love how one of the things that we always wanted to see with the second season is the first season was really kind of a beta test to see if this technology would work. And so far, what we've seen halfway through season two is that this technology is being advanced as they are going forward with this show. And so are the mechanics of the child. And it feels as lifelike as ever. And, has, and they're giving it so many interesting things to do. And a lot of that is a lot of comedic things. And they just work progressively well in this show. So I'm really loving where the episode went with them. I thought Gina Carano kept really evolving in this show. I think this is obviously her best stuff that she has done as an actress. And I think Carl Weathers, who he's not really, I think, a performance actor or director because I think he's just kind of getting himself situated within this show. So I think he really kind of leaned into what Gina Carano does best, which is kicking a lot of ass and taking names with that and really kind of showing her strength in those action scenes. And she did those flawlessly. And also what I really love about this episode, and this is a credit to the writing that Favreau does, is it really kind of showcases different points of view in this episode. Basically, up until this this episode, everything has been from the Mandalorian's point of view. And for a majority of this episode, it still is. But we see a lot of this episode through Cardoon's perspective, from, from Carl Weathers' perspective of Grief Karga. So I think that kind of stuff, I think, really kind of benefits going forward of maybe we can get more episodes like that, where it's not just taking place from Mando's perspective, but other people's perspective in this show as well. So I thought that was an interesting device that was used in this episode. So I'm really looking forward to what they do going forward. And really, if you know, again, the story so far, it seems like the the climax, the crescendo of at least this first half of the season is gearing towards episode five directed by Dave Filoni and again to to the point of Mando trying to bring this child to the Jedi to this this character of Ahsoka Tano it's all kind of building to that level of anticipation right now and a lot's riding on that fifth episode next week so I think a lot of eyes are going to be on it but I think for this episode I think it progressed the story very nicely it progressed the the characters along at a nice pace it brought us back to a planet that we are familiar with but showcased some new things about it and the evolution of it since its first season and also I think kept the humor going between the child and the Mandalorian at a nice pace and fit in and wasn't forced like some of the comedy 
he was in the first episode and somewhat in the first season. But honestly, at this point in time, again, it's just everything's in a rhythm state for The Mandalorian right now. And I hope it continues for the fifth episode. And honestly, halfway through the season, now that because it's only eight episodes and having just watched episode four, we're halfway through this second season. The, these first four episodes, I think, rival, they're on pace or a little bit better than I think the overall first season of The Mandalorian so far. I think everyone from the creative side, from the crew to the cast, have an idea of what they want the show to be, have advanced their skills on the show, know what they're comfortable with, know how they want to push the envelope, and know where this story is going. So I've been really, really impressed so far with these first four episodes, and I can't wait to see what we're going to get in the last back half of the season, because if you look at the marketing material for the season so far, we've seen everything the trailers have to offer us. It was from these first four episodes. So episode five, six, seven, eight, we have no idea what we're going to get. So I think that's exciting of not really knowing where this show is going to go and the potential for it down the line, of course, but also where are we going to end up with this season? Where where are we going to leave a cliffhanger off in season two that connects things to season three and going forward. So I think this kept developing the the Star Wars mythology as well, kind of maybe offering connections for where potentially the sequel trilogy can come into play here, even though in the timeline of Star Wars canon, it's still years and years away from even moving up to where The Force Awakens is, but planting those seeds for where you can make references and connect certain things so that at least in the in the canon sense, it makes somewhat of a connectivity and it can say, oh, well, I can understand how this happened or how this happened, whether you like it or not. I think the fact that they're fitting it in here and it's not shoehorned in speaks again to the direction, but also the writing from Jon Favreau so far, because he's written every single one of the episodes of this season of Mandalorian up to this point. The next week is going to be Dave Filoni writing and directing, so we'll see how that goes. But again, I think just this flow that Mando is having right now is incredibly well done, and I hope it translates to kind of what we're seeing a crescendo being in this fifth episode, hitting a climax point before going into the back half, into the end of the season, which is kind of crazy to say that we're at the middle point of this season it's it feels like yesterday we were watching the first episode of the mandalorian of this season so the fact that we have four more episodes still a lot more to go still a lot more story to tell where it goes from here it's exciting but again it was a little bit of a dip from last week's episode just because of the 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 plot developments the the connect the the connectiveness to the the mythology and the canon of star wars i don't think it was going to be able to rival last week's episode but still a very good well done episode hats off to Carl Weathers for his directorial debut in Star Wars and I can't wait to see what Dave Filoni does next and where the rest and the back half of this season of Mandalorian is going to kick off so a thumbs up for me for this episode and I highly recommend watching it before there are spoilers that come out and it ruins the episode for you but if you have seen this week's episode of the Mandalorian again make sure to put your non-spoiler remarks in the the comments let me know what you think 
think. Again, non-spoiler. I will have a spoiler review for this episode on Monday, so you can be on the lookout for that and check it out. And that's where you can put all of your spoiler comments. But for this one, make sure it is it is non-spoiler, so you're not ruining for the people that have not seen it just yet. What did you guys think about this episode of The Mandalorian? Again, non-spoiler comments. Put them in the section and leave your thoughts. I'd really like to know and see what your thoughts are on The Siege, episode four of season two of The Mandalorian. And then moving on now to a bit of movie news before I wrap up this edition of the Sam Bissell podcast. I want to get into what is slowly turning into being a very interesting project that is jumping out on my radar, and that is Bullet Train. Over the summertime, this was a movie that was in development. It's going to be directed by David Leach. Brad Pitt is setting up to be the star in it. And slowly over the last few months, it has garnered a really impressive A-list cast between Joey King coming on, Brian Tyree Henry, Logan Lerman is reuniting with Brad Pitt from their 2014 film Fury, Zazie Beetz from Deadpool and Joker is coming into this film. And then the last day or two, we've gotten the announcement from Deadline and Collider that Michael Shannon and Lady Gaga are set to appear in this film. It's based off of this Japanese novel, and it's set on this bullet train in which these, it seems like four assassins come into play with one another, and they're fighting it out for some reason. We don't know that reason just yet, but the basic plot line is it takes place on this bullet train with four assassins. So it sounds interesting, and, and again, with this character, Cast, uh, it's going. It sounds awesome. And for David Leach, who, if you know any of his work, he is an action guru from his work on the first John Wick film to Atomic Blonde, the second Deadpool film to last year's Hobbs and Shaw. He knows how to direct action. And if it's action in a kind of a contained environment, kind of like the raid in a way. I think that's going to be really, really cool to see, and you got the A-list talent to, to pull it off. This would be Lady Gaga's first major film since coming off of her Oscar nomination for 2018, A Star is Born, and they don't say it's a major role, it's more of a supporting role, but if you get her to be in this, whether she's kicking butt or not, I think it's good to have her in here. Michael Shannon, having him in an action film is going to be pretty interesting, even though he was in Man of Steel years ago, to kind of have him in, in a fist fighting kung fu maybe action film i haven't seen him really do that before so that's going to be interesting having brad pitt on this with joey king it's just a really really good cast that they have coming together for this film and i'm excited to see where it goes from here if they need any more casting or or if lady gaga michael shannon were it and they're going to go into principal photography soon this sounds like it's just going to be a fun film to go see, and I hope it's exactly what it's being built up to be, especially with this stacked cast that they are forming for, for something that a few months ago sounded intriguing, but again, with all these major stars coming together, it kind of perks up the ears, I think, a little bit of kind of people looking at this film a little bit differently, and that's what a cast can do. It doesn't have to be people that you market it towards that say, come see this film because of these actors and actresses 
but they want it to be one of the attributes for why you would want to go see this film. And I think for an all-star cast like this, I think it's going to be warranted to see it on the big screen if it does come out on the big screen. And of course, David Leach, seeing him do this, if it has like an semblance of Raid, it would be pretty cool. So hopefully this is something that definitely makes its way to the theaters and lives up to the billing that we have seen being casted for this film. What do you guys think about the casting for Bullet Train continuing? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And then moving on down to some interesting news that came out last night from Deadline Hollywood regarding Disney and some of their films moving from theatrical to Disney+. And according to the article, films such as Cruella with Emma Stone, Pinocchio, which is set to be directed by Robert Zemeckis, and Peter Pan and Wendy, which is supposed to be directed by David Lowry, who did Peach Dragon and A Ghost Story, are potentially set to move from a theatrical release to Disney+. And this could be a potential response for what happened a few days ago when HBO Max is set to release Wonder Woman 1984 on Christmas Day, the same time as... Well, the theaters are going to come out with Wonder Woman on Christmas Day as well. So it could be a response to that as well. And I think it's also a a potential response to what I was talking about a few days ago as well when when regards to the consistency of putting out Disney content on their streaming service that sometimes they'll have a few months where they hit a really good stride and then a few months it'll be kind of a, a little bit of a slide and then they'll have a big release and then a major slide and the big release. It's kind of like a roller coaster that just goes up and down, up and down. But it seems like with The Mandalorian now coming out, they have WandaVision coming out at the beginning of the year. They're getting some consistency going, and so we'll see that happens with these films. Would I love to see them in theaters? Sure, but I think for some of these films, it could potentially make sense to go to Disney+. Plus. I especially think something like Cruella, even though Emma Stone's in it, and I love Emma Stone as an actress— even with the billing of that as an iconic villain with 101 Dalmatians, I don't think it gets that Maleficent audience to the theaters. I think Maleficent and the Sleeping Beauty canon is a little bit more well-known than Cruella, and it sounds like Cruella is more of a prequel film for how she became the iconic villain that we know from the animated film. So I'm not sure if this would get the same billing and maybe Disney sees that writing on the wall and is saying, you know what, let's move this over to the streaming service instead and and get more audience members to peel their eyes there. Maybe if they think they don't have to pay so much for this movie, they can go and watch this on, on a streaming service instead of paying a lot of money to the theaters. And the same thing could be said for Pinocchio. And HBO Max did it with the latest Robert Zemeckis film, The Witches, with Octavia Spencer and Anne Hathaway. So even though Robert Zemeckis is a very good director and has directed some great films over the years, someone like him, you could still put it on HBO Max, or not HBO Max, but Disney Plus, and I still think it would be better for it because, again, Pinocchio, I even though Wish Upon a Star is so well-known and the, and the character of Pinocchio is so well-known, I don't know if that does really well in theaters. And the same thing, well, you know what? The only film that I could see maybe not going to Disney Plus that could do well in theaters is Peter Pan because I think the brand of Peter Pan is more recognizable than Cruella 
and Pinocchio, and I think can be up there with the likes of Jungle Book or Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast. It has that credibility throughout all these decades that Peter Pan has been known to be a Disney animated character. So I think that could be one that could potentially stay in theaters, but it's not like they're moving The Lion King or the Aladdin sequel or any of these other major billion dollar films that made a lot of money initially going to Disney+. Plus. I think when you look at Disney and their film slate, if you take out Marvel, you take out Pixar, you take out Star Wars, and even take out these this major run that these live action retellings are having, a lot of the original films or even some of the lesser known adaptations from these Disney live action retellings don't do that well at the box office. So I think Disney may see that and say, you know what, again, this doesn't have the big high profile, let's instead put this on a potential streaming service. And this isn't something that has happened yet, but I could see it happening and I think it makes sense. And I know Cruella was supposed to be in theaters, but I think it's so far out right now and we don't know what's gonna happen with theaters moving forward and we don't know when it's gonna be available for a vaccine and when people are gonna feel comfortable going to the movies again, then maybe Disney for Cruella's sake at least is just kind of getting ready for that mentality in the back of their head of saying, hey, let's just get ready to potentially move this over to Disney Plus if we can't make this come out in May of 2021. So I think this makes sense I think this could be a response to what happened with Wonder Woman a few days ago, but I think this is just more of Disney kind of saying, what do we think could be more substance for our streaming service, and what do we want to kind of prioritize as being on our A-list for big blockbuster films in theaters? And I know there are rumors coming out as well that Raya and The Last Dragon are having those talks as well, but I do think Disney animated films, for the most part, do very well at the box office. They might not make Frozen-level numbers or Zootopia, which they're billion-dollar films, but I still think they do make a lot of money that they warrant enough $700, $800 million to be put in theaters. And I think from even just that, that teaser trailer, I think Raya could do well in theaters. Again, I think that is also going to take into account too what is going to happen in COVID in the first half of the new year. So all this, I think, is just being taken into account. Disney's just working on a whole bunch of strategies for what they want to do with these films. And also in the report from Deadline, it was said that there are no plans, according to Deadline Hollywood sources, that big blockbusters like A Black Widow and Eternals are being considered to make the move from theaters to streaming because I do think that they realize the big money aspect that those films have and they don't want to waste and lose any more money than they already are losing from their parks and their their ratings on television with sports and ESPN and also their their studios that they're having right now with, with, with their movie studio. So I think the only bright spot right now is Disney Plus and I think they realize we can't lose any more money than we're already losing. So let's just hold off because we know when theaters are opening back up again, if we were to put out Black Widow three months once you're able to kind of relax social distancing and we can get back to some kind of normalcy, I think people would be comfortable about going to see a Black Widow in theaters. It would it would make an exorbitant amount 
of money because it has the brand, the name brand of Marvel Studios in there. So it makes sense that they wouldn't be considering it. And I don't think I don't think they will consider it. I think they would consider their Disney titles or their Disney animated titles or Disney live action titles before going to a Marvel or Star Wars and asking them to move their titles to Disney Plus. But what do you guys think about this news regarding Disney Plus and their potential moves of some of their films to their streaming service of Disney Plus? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to wrap up this week on the Sam Bissell podcast with is the announcement from Amazon that Coming to America, the highly anticipated sequel to the classic comedy film from Eddie Murphy, will be having its release date next year on March 5th. This is a a film that was actually supposed to be coming out during this year's holiday times in December in theaters before COVID really kind of wrecked shop and moved a whole bunch of stuff around and kind of blew up the theatrical landscape. And even with it moving to Amazon, a lot of people thought, well, this would be Amazon's big movie to kind of end the year on and wrap it up in a bow. But I think they probably see that around the holiday times, the the theater window, not even the theater window, but the, the media window is going to be very, very, very tight. And there's going to be a lot to unpack for people in deciding what they want to watch with their families on Christmas morning or during Christmas week. You, of course, have, again, Wonder Woman 1984 and Soul on HBO Max and Disney Plus making their way on Christmas Day to their respective streaming services. And then you have what was announced yesterday as the new Mila Djokovic film from Paul Thomas Anderson coming out on 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 excuse me on Christmas Day. I was just looking it up on Christmas Day with Monster Hunter. And so I think with with this film with Coming to America Amazon Prime doesn't want this film to kind of really compete with that. And I think for them, for Amazon, because they spent over $100 million, $125 million to be exact, they want to make sure that they're getting every single bang for their buck with this film. And I think they want to follow the the strategy window that they got with the second Borat film, where that really kind of was the big talk of basically the whole week. I think they want that to kind of have its own week of revving up the marketing campaign, having its own weekend to itself. Where that The only thing they're talking about is coming to America. And because of its cultural status, and a lot of people want to see this, you have Eddie Murphy coming back into this role who is kind of having not really a comeback because he, he never really fell off from grace. He's just kind of having a little bit of, of a rejuvenation, I guess you could say, or he he's coming back into the limelight a little bit more after taking some time off. And he's with Dolomite, with SNL, he's coming back to doing this film to one of his big hits in the 80s and 90s. And with a stacked cast that it has with Kiki Lane, Wesley Snipes coming into this as well. I think people are ex- interested in seeing this film. So Amazon just wants to make sure that they have enough people and enough time and their own space that they can kind of be the big, big blockbuster, the big film that's coming out 
on its weekend. Then March 5th, as far as I know, there's nothing coming out on that date. And if, again, we're still in this pandemic around February, March, and things have to be moved from the spring to the summer and then the summer stuff to the fall, then I think coming to America could be a lot bigger than people maybe even anticipated. So this makes sense. And I'm interested in seeing coming to America. I was a fan of the first film. And I think, again, there is some hype regarding making this sequel. And the director who did Dolomite is my name is doing this film. So Eddie Murphy and the director have a rapport. They know what they love doing with each other. They know how one another work. So I think this film is going to benefit from that. And I think a lot of people are looking forward to it. So what do you guys think about coming to America, hitting Amazon Prime on March 5th, 2021? Let me know what you think and leave your thoughts below. But with that done and out of the way, guys, that will do it for this edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast. Thank you so much, as always, for tuning in. Be sure to check out my channel for more content. You can check me out on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Radio Public, SoundCloud, and much more. Also, make sure to tune in onto the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions, and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on there, such as You Mad Bro, the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis. Also, check out Goal Driven Professionals, geared toward improving client relations, return on investment, and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services. Also, check out The Daily Grind, a weekly motivational podcast with Kelly Johnson, give you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals. Along the way, also check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions, such as Wrestle Attic Radio, Fretzelmania Podcast, and Midnight Showing. You can check these out and so much more on the website ambiguouspodcastsolutions.com, also on Facebook and Twitter at Real Ambiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me at Basel Samuel, that's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L, and on Facebook at Sam Basel. Thank you guys again so much, and until next time, keep on screening.